This is Alamo Anthem, where we, the overtaxed, remember our liberty. Direct from the forgotten countryside outside of Alamo City, San Antonio. All right, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Joe, joined with my other hosts, Emily and Michelle. How are you guys doing today? Good. It's rainy here in Texas, finally. And since our listeners are from Texas, they'll know that that's good. Exactly. You never turn down a rainy day in Texas. Today we're going to talk about a special session that Abbott has called for October 9th. And this is interesting because he will be discussing vouchers. So interesting. As in school vouchers? As in school vouchers. Not like... It's very controversial. Not for like free chicken sandwiches or something like that? No. No. Nothing like that. The second thing we're going to talk about is that what's going to be on the ballot in October. And we want our listeners to pay attention to this because if they want to get the property tax relief, I guess, they have to go and actually vote for the amendment. It's not just because they signed it doesn't mean it's guaranteed unless we vote for it. So we're going to talk about what's on the ballot. We're also going to be talking about wages in Medina County that are being considered in the commissioner's court. Um, there's a couple things in Facebook I wanted to talk about on a couple of the city council members that are on Divine that they had commented. And, uh, of course, we're going to do Joe's request, which is to talk about Banned Books Week. Did I get that right, Joe? I think so. I don't know. Maybe it, I'm, I'm starting to rethink. Maybe it's book. I don't know. Banned Books. <laughs> Banned Books Week. It's hard to say. And uh, we'll have our weekly segment on Next Dog app. So that's what today's <laughs> going to look like. <laughs> So yeah, let's just get into it. First first topic. Okay, so Abbott called for a special session to talk about vouchers. And as you can imagine, it's going to be pretty controversial. Why do you think that is? Uh, because people don't like funding to be taken away from schools, and that's the way they look at vouchers. Can you explain what vouchers are? Because I don't, I don't know if everyone knows what that means. So... I know that different states do it differently, but broadly speaking, a voucher system in regards to education is where parents could choose how to use education dollars um, in a way different than sending their kids to government schools or public schools. So if you had a certain amount of money, like let's say a $5,000 voucher a year per student, you could take that to a private school or a learning academy or something like that, some approved, uh, I I guess, business um, that's coded as educational. Uh, This is from thefacts.com. Abbott's decision comes nearly four months after lawmakers failed this year to either allocate new money to help school district make ends meet amid rampant inflation and volatile economy or reach an agreement on school choice a moniker for proposals that would allow parents to use taxpayer dollars to pay for their children's private schooling. School choice has been one of Abbott's top legislative priorities this year. Lawmakers are to return to Austin at 1 p.m. October 9th. This year's regular legislative session ended in a stalemate between the House and the Senate over education savings accounts, a voucher-like program that would allow parents access to state-managed account to pay for their private school tuition and other educational expenses. I do know that the Democrats are highly against it, and so are um, rural Republicans, because they feel like it will affect their... Because they don't have... In the rural areas, and we're from somewhat a rural area, it would affect 
the, because there aren't very many choices in rural areas to use a voucher system. So I think they're afraid that that's going to take money away from what they already are lacking in funding. But too. would the money, would any money go away if none of the students chose to go to a different school? That's what I was thinking. I don't think it would. No, I don't think so either. Right. So I don't know why rural Republicans would be... Well, hmm. the argument goes, if you take money out of the education system, the worry is that some schools would close down because of it, uh, or that they would become less good in hmm. some way, and then they would have even less options or whatever. Or maybe it's just that some people would be able to benefit from it, while the quality of what they have access to would go down. Mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense because what emily's saying is where would that money go if there's no other options because that's what the voucher system is it's taking money from what the government's already spending on students in public schools and giving parents the choice to take that money elsewhere but if there is no elsewhere so why would it affect them isn't that what you're asking well partly i mean it's that if they lose funding because let's say you have a small school in divine texas and five students leave because, uh, you know, they decide to go to some charter school in San Antonio. Well, then, theoretically, the amount of money that they would have needed to have been spending on the five students, they don't need anymore. Right? right? They took their kids. The kids The kids aren't there eating the food. Uh, you know, the, like, whatever. They're not. Yeah. They're less space. They're less child. So the classrooms I mean, I are know smaller. That, right. I mean, yeah. they would have to change it. It's not like you can just shrink the building and then make it cheaper. Yeah. But. You'd have to fire people. You'd have to spend less. You'd have to spend less money. Then you could spend less money. Yeah. Um, you, but that's, I think that's the issue is like that it's inflexible if any money is not available for their costs. Like it, it doesn't come down linearly with each student. And that if you do drop costs, then it's, you know, it's more of like a larger jumps so for our listeners would you guys say that this is a good thing to have vouchers or not what's your what's your opinion on that well i feel like there's nothing that could be more helpful than more competition so just judging by the way that things seem to work in the natural free market right where people are trying to they have to find some way to make their to make their product competitive Right. Like what what are you going to give? Either it has to be better known, better quality or cheaper. You have to do one of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there has to be something about it. Yeah. And I don't think that there's anybody who like would deny that those things would happen. Right. Yeah. It's understandable why nobody ever wants to be in a situation where they have to find a new job like that stresses everybody out. But I don't think that you should like sacrifice quality education for kids just so that some people don't have to find a different job. Yeah, And also, theoretically, if that did occur, right, if, like, the money were there and suddenly available, which, by the way, is these parents' money in the first place that got taxed away from them, uh, then new jobs would come up naturally. Right. So it, it seems like it's an easy crossover. They would just go, they would have more options of how they could teach and where they could teach and what, you know, everything about it. I think it's undeniably a good thing because... You know, there are arguments with budget and if that affects it or whatnot. But, you know, if the money is going where you want it to go, then that's, by definition, better. And a lot of, I, you know, we talked about this last episode. A lot of the problems that we see, it's just this perpetuation of this system, right? That's where right. it's growing out of control. 
and there's no limit to how much can be spent on on public education and almost universally if there's an exception i would love to know about it but when i was looking into this a lot these voucher programs you always spend less uh, per student through a voucher system than you do in the traditional education system Um, i think in any situation where there's school choice like charter schools which do obviously receive public fund uh funding they, that's not obvious to everybody, but yeah. Right. They uh, they do receive less. Mm-hmm. The charter school itself does not get as much as a regular public school gets. So, for instance, in a, the state of Texas or in Bear County or Medina County or whatever, if the price per student uh, per year is, you know, $10,000, typically the voucher that would be available to you would be significantly less. It'd be like seven or $6,000 or something like that. So savings are really baked into kind of the the program. The other thing is that when they do studies, and and I think that we would agree with this as well, about satisfaction levels among parents about schools, the idea that the value of the education or rather the academic achievement is the number one priority is a fallacy. That is not the number one priority for parents. It's the culture and like safety like in the schools, right? So you want to send your kids to a school where they have the same values that you want to teach at home. And, you know, if it's like, if you score a few points less on reading or math, it's like, that's not as important as if they're able to, you know, have a a happy experience when it comes to learning and education. Well, and that always seems to get lost, the, the objective in education, public education especially. Because it seems like when you have money involved from the state, and you talked about it a little bit, they're concerned about scaling back because they don't want to lose jobs or whatever. That that shouldn't be the reason why they do what they do. It shouldn't be mm. about jobs. That's not the objective of education. Objective of public education should be to educate. End of story. And if that means they have to rearrange some things, then they need to rearrange them mm-hmm. and let the market do its thing but well clearly it's funny because what did you say joe that education is not the number one priority yeah for like parents. academic achievement Acad- academic achievement see i think that's ironic because i don't think that's the number one priority for schools either <laughs> and i think it's proven yeah. because they try to stop competition i guess i was trying to get ahead of the kind of the argument where they say oh well you don't know if these other schools are going to be as good because they don't have the same standards or whatever like that's always the argument though what that means is these are the things we say we're going to teach we're going to teach all these subjects and we're going to do a perfect job and we have standardized testing that's not that doesn't mean that they actually achieve those things those are just their goals and so they're comparing like their intention with kind of a fictional well what if this other private school doesn't do as good of a job and you can find statistics where in certain areas the uh, public schools, you know, performs better on certain tests than the private schools do. But um, I'm just saying that that's kind of a a red herring. You know, that's not the most important thing. Also, you know, great evidence, which everybody can see plainly, is that charter schools have waiting lists. I mean, the charter schools are the ones who are trying to compete and with less money coming to them. From thefacts.com, Governor Abbott said, if we do not win... In that first special session, we'll have another special session. 
and we'll come back again, Abbott said last week, and tell a town hall about the issue. And then if we don't win that time, I think it's time to send this to the voters themselves. Great. I know. It's like, that's what they should do with all these things, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, let us tell you what, what we want. Let the people decide, yeah. you know? And how that's true democracy, in my opinion. It's wild to me that it could be so difficult. And maybe it just comes down to not enough accountability between the representatives in our state legislature and the people. You know, do we need more town halls being like, hey, you voted for this. Why? This is not why we sent you to Austin. Yeah, right. I had one other thought that the parents, how they would prefer to have their kids, like, you know, have a good cultural situation at school, that I think there's any, any parent, if you were to ask that, well, maybe not any parent, but I, I would bet at least the majority of parents, if you were to ask them, okay, by the time your kid comes out of this institution at the end, would you prefer that they be well-adjusted and independent or that they have high grades and they graduate, you know, have like the certificate. I mean, and it's like the a first t- one, right? I well, to to me, it's obvious, but I do think it would be a little bit of a like it, you know, because what if you had to give up the certificate, but the kid is well adjusted and independent, and yeah. they're like capable. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, what if it was that sort of a trade off? I don't know. Just I think it's just something to think about with that culture preference that Joe and what was that like a survey that you saw years back yeah yeah okay it was like what's the most important aspect of school and they had a bunch of options and the thing that's interesting about public education is that people think if a kid doesn't do education the way public school does education Mm -hmm. then there's no chance that they're going to be properly educated I I just I vote have you ever stopped Joe and thought about who makes the decisions that they make for schools? Like, like for instance, the school year. Like, mm-hmm. how come it has to be so many days in the school year? Or the school day. Why is it so many hours? Right. And what are the re- what's the research behind these fact these things that they've put? In, you know, the yeah. parameters they've made. Because to me, I someone who does, has homeschooled, I've seen kids who have had much less time. And have done more with it. You know what I mean? We touched on it last episode that if you don't include X, Y, and Z into the school day or into the curriculum, then you don't get X, Y, and Z funding from different sources. So you're I think saying that's part it, of it all comes back to money. I mean, I do think most things come back to money. I think that also it comes down to the fact that a lot of people want their kids, the longer they can be in school, the better for them. If both parents are working, then you know that then you're not paying for daycare after school. I think that's part of it as well. All right, you're shuffling some papers I around, know, Michelle. What, what are we... Uh... Rush Limbaugh? Now slam it on the desk. <laughs> but don't hit the cord. <laughs> Gotta watch that cord. Okay. All right, so now we're moving on to uh, the October ballots. Um, just FYI, everyone needs to register to vote. Okay. That plans on voting. But don't vote. Don't, don't vote. If unless you don't you're... vote the way that we want you to. <laughs> What's the deadline? I will tell you, but don't okay. vote unless you're informed. That's my thing. Um, the deadline is By October. Us. <laughs> By us. Only. <laughs> October 10th is... We'll uh... attach a voting guide to our uh, <laughs> our podcast. Just kidding. So, uh, yeah. So there's 14 proposed constitutional amendments on the November 7th ballot. 
And the one of them, and this is a big one that is on there, is the amendment to include measures to increase the homestead exemption from four, 40000 to 100000 with homeowners 65 and older getting an additional $40,000 in exemptions. Um, I don't have all of the measures in front of me, um, but I'll tell you a couple more. So the other proposals would cap increased in appraised value and expand exemptions for small businesses from the franchise tax. And Abbott and others, and this is in the, the paper, the Divine paper, Abbott and other backers of the bill passed in a summer spe- special session called these measures the largest property tax cut in, in Texas history. I don't think it's anything to brag about, personally. I, I think that um, coming from a state that was paying income tax, it, pay, it more than doubles what we were paying in right. income tax. In well, the state. income tax is a little bit more. If you think that fair is taxing people proportional to their actual means, the income tax obviously is much more fair, especially if it's flat. Yeah. If it's very graduated, well, then it can become quite unfair, right? But mm-hmm. the property tax is the least fair by that definition, because what it means is it's, it almost seems like some sort of uh, aristocratic type of taxing where it's like, Oh, you don't make this much per year? Stay in that shack. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you can't live in a nice house. You can't live in... And actually, classify it. I can't remember what it is. Like, nice brick house. That's one of them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't belong here. So, but explain that. Because is it, if it's based on the value of the house, and assumably... I guess that's, that's the, the rub, right? Presumably, the value of your house is going to reflect your income that's the yeah that presumption is the problem because i mean there are plenty of people and i think that these people should be helped not hindered who don't make tons of money over and over and over again every year but they do have the ability to save so they can save up enough so that they can buy a house that's more adequate for their family's needs or in a different area or in a different area yeah they can do that uh but then oh no, you can't, right? Because you can't afford those taxes that yeah. do come every single year. Right. And it really is, like, subjective. That's the thing that frustrates me is when you go into these um, protests, they tell you that they've used comps to decide what the value of your house is supposed to be based off of the market. Uh, but they pick and choose, like... the <laughs> I was so frustrated this last year trying to fight mine and I had comps to show and they were anyway, it just, it was upsetting because it's like, so it's up to this one guy and they don't, it's not like they say, Oh yeah, those are better comps. They say, okay, well, that's interesting that you presented that. These are our comps, you know, we had one, I don't know if I can't remember if I talked about this before or not, but there was one property that we, uh, it's just this like empty lot that we have that we would like to not have. But we would like to sell it for, you know, like an okay amount. And anyway, so we got the taxes for that. And I went in to protest those. And they had found comps, of course, but they kind of reached further. Because for whatever reason, they wanted more and more taxes. They were reaching further and further into the past for these comps. Right. So, I mean, we were past one year. Right. Which is not acceptable in normal real estate. So and there was so they can only do it that year. 
they couldn't go past a year. Well, it was more than a year from when I was protesting. So yeah, it was probably within the confines of the calendar year. Oh, okay. But it was like the full year. Oh, okay. And so the, they ha, there's so few other sales of properties that were like that one that, the, the, you know, they were like, well, there's three sales <laughs> that have happened that are like at all similar. So they picked those three that were higher, right? Not lower, obviously. And then, but what I did at the same time was I listed our own property at a lower price than what they were saying. And so if you were trying to decide, well, what is this property worth right now? Is it worth uh, what some other properties seemed to be worth, at least to one other person at that time? Or is it worth what it seems, what it would sell for right now? I know. And so when, and having it at a lower price than they even said, it wasn't getting any bites. So I feel like there is, that's indisputable proof that it is worth less than what they're saying. And it wasn't for like one day. It was like I, at least a month, maybe two or three months that I had it listed. Well, so, and because one thing about Emily is she's a real estate agent too. Um, what would you say to our listeners is like, what defines what property value means like market value? What is, how do you determine that? Well, it's, it it can only be determined by how much at least one other person is willing to pay for it. Right. And so the best, the best way to define it would be like for your house, how much did the last buyer pay for it? Well, you you were the last buyer. So I'm, by buying it for that much, I'm telling the county that my house, I believe, is worth this much. Correct. Because you're the one with the skin in the game. So it should be, that's the best proof. But is that what it should, like, that's what it should be. That's what logically it makes sense. But is that the way that it's determined? Well, obviously not, no. Because they want it to go, they want to tax you more. So now time goes forward, inflation occurs. More buyers come in from wherever, you know, places with where the market is higher, right? And so they have more money to spend. And then they buy houses that are similar to yours. And they say, now yours would also be worth this much more if you were selling it. But Mm -hmm. obviously they're making guesses. Like you have to, I mean, just logically, you have to assume there is yet another buyer ready to go and spend that same amount on your house as the one that they found that's similar to your house. Plus the fact that it's just similar. I mean, no property, no two properties are like every real estate agent will tell you that. So, I mean, you have to make guesses it's all the time, but of... they're, they are guessing high. I That's remember, what's so upsetting. I remember when I was yeah. younger, um, I don't know if it was like in a lot of movies or cartoons or stuff, but the thing that um, when they would try to show poverty or somebody like suffering, they would have like an older person and they would always use this term like being on a fixed income. And I was like, I, n- I never understood that because it's like, well, that means you have an income and it's fixed. That means it's pretty stable. That sounds good, right? And now, and then I kind of understood like, oh, well, it's because costs change. But it's not until, you know, we really get into these tax things, how just daunting the system is with being on fixed incomes when your prices are, when your costs are changing. Yeah. Because, you know, in this situation that you're describing, it's like, okay, the value of your house went up. Well, the price of my house went up. And now you're saying that I need to pay more. But how am I going to do that? Like the only way that you could come up with that if your income is just meeting your your costs because it's your retirement wages or whatever, then there's 
you know, it, it's not like those your wages go up with the inflated house market. You know, it's not like your employer says, hey, I noticed that in your area, house prices went up by 20%. Here, let me give you a raise to make up for that. I mean, that does not happen. You know, you have to beg for those raises. And it's one of the reasons that inflation is just so nefarious because it lowers, it increases the price of everything without producing more goods. And so for you to justify, well, you should pay me more for my job your boss is going to be like, well, let's see what you did last year. Uh, let's how much do you make right now? And it and it's not a question of inflation. It's just a question of, well, what do I have to pay you? One percent more? Okay, I'll do that. And then you just fall farther and farther behind. Yeah, it's outrageous, and something needs to be done. And even though the state is has done something, I don't feel personally that it's enough. Well, and every time they say, like, you know, you can find articles about this where, you know, like in the Texas Tribune or whatever, any of these uh, mainstream media uh, newspapers and outlets, where they'll say that Texas is, you know, talking about, like, Congress is working hard on fighting these property taxes and finding solutions and whatever, stuff like that. I mean, over years. But every time when you really start to look at it, it's like all they're doing, when they claim that they are making a cut, all they're doing is cutting the rate of growth and sometimes not even that, but they're all they're saying is, well, we're not going to take more from you at the same accelerated rate as we have been lately. We'll slow down the rate of raising your taxes, but we'll That's, still take more from you. We are still going to take more. Yeah. Cause you've got it and we want it. This idea that it has to be the way that it is, is just, if you've lived in other States, you realize it doesn't have to be this way. It's no, corrupt. I agree. I And I, I'm sorry to say that, but there must be corruption. It, it seems to me like it's a good old boys club. I, I just, mean, it's at the very least gross negligence of the way that they're spending. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, well, in the past, I can't think of like the exact positions or names, but in the past like three years, there have been several instances just in Medina County where people in like city or school oh, yeah. positions yeah. stole funds. That's right. That's and then true. it's like, well, yeah, we'll get rid of them. But like the funds never come back. Nope. You know? Right. And, and that's like, just when they got caught. I, and they I might, assume. And they might get, you know, severance when they leave. Well, I think <laughs> the solution is to really go after these propositions and tell our lawmakers to just cut off the spigot. And then you know, if you only have this amount of money, you need to figure it out. You need to figure out what's important. You mean they this. do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The the school boards. They need to figure out how to spend less money is That's what right. you're saying. Yeah. Right. I got to tell the story that happened this last week. I didn't share this, remember? But this was a big deal. Uh, last week, I go to the mailbox. I opened my mail. And in it was a letter from a law firm, McReary and something something. I can't remember the name of the law firm. And I'm like, what is this? Open it up. And guess what it said? We know what it said. Foreclosure notice. I was like, what is this? And I looked down and it had the the address of our rental that we've been very responsible about paying the mortgage on time, paying the taxes, everything. I had just met with the county tax, you know, assessor in the summer. We went through, we tried to negotiate a tax price that, you know was fair i it wasn't but you know i was trying to do my argument well i was just i mean price 
implies that you're having an exchange of goods. That's all. That's why I chuckled. Oh, it's not an exchange. It's no exchange. one way. One way. And so I got stressed. I showed it to my husband. And the, the price that they were telling us we owed in taxes was 4000 something. So that wasn't just a little chunk. It was just a big chunk of change, a change that we would have to come up with, even though we've already spent so much money on taxes on top of this. Yeah. And so I, my husband, he took the day off the next day, and we went to the county office, and I literally put it in front of her, and I said, what is this? Yeah. What is this? And I, at first I thought, oh, no, they're taxing us more. But then I realized what happened, and it was the homestead exemption. I had moved it. Mm-hmm. And so that was the back pay of whatever the homestead exemption was when I moved it. But what irritated me the most was the method. It wasn't necessary to send that obnoxious bully letter that they sent. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, they've got to be out of touch. They know people are already upset about this right. whole property tax debacle. And then they're going to bully them by sending these foreclosure notices with a with a law firm. Yeah, saying law basically firm. pay this or and they said that on the letter. If you don't pay by this date, this will go through foreclosure. I mean, imagine you put like a big chunk of your life savings down on a house and then they just take it whenever they want. That's right. when I, I guess the realization came to me that how much power government has even on the local level especially yeah especially on the local level they could take your house anytime yeah and i know that people will be like oh no they can't they've got to go through proper procedures yeah they do but just the fact that they were using those methods to scare shows Mm -hmm. just how their 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 tactics well and what it does is it, it punishes people with the with low resources including time the most Right. Mm -hmm. Because if they're right, it's a regressive tax is what you would call that. And so they, you know, they take our tax money, they go and they pay a law firm to go. Yeah, they're using it's like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, it's you're, you know, you're using my money to to, sue me. Yeah. And (laughs) And I can't afford to to defend myself to get myself an attorney. Right. Do you folks see how important this is to be involved? You've got to stand up. We've got enough is enough. If you want to get involved, there's a way to do that. Uh, we have an organization that we just formed. It's mostly for the seniors because they have a, there's a little They're bit They're on of, a fixed income. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. discretion in the county of those funds of what they can do for seniors. There's not discretion in the county for what they can do for us. That's on the state level. However, we need to start making a difference. Start calling, start creating some sort of. I don't know, presence. Yeah. So my feeling on it is, you know, having gone to a few of these school board meetings and even city council meetings where they, you know, by law, they have to put in a notice, as you all probably already know, in the paper and elsewhere, just it has to be public saying when they're going to be voting on tax rates and budgets and stuff like that. And when we have gone to these meetings, it seemed like we we're out of place, you know, like they seemed to be a little bit surprised when we had anything to say and it was like we were interrupting what they were doing a little, you know? And then they go on with their business and they vote, of course, to raise it. So and let, my... let's pause our proceedings to let the children speak well, and then we'll continue on. I back didn't to feel the that way with Hondo. I felt Hondo wanted us to speak, almost. They were like inviting us to speak. But Medina Valley, I felt that. they were The chamber in and of itself was so formal. 
Like they had all these people high up. Didn't you feel that way? It was like yeah. a courtroom. It was almost. more formal, but I, uh, so I do appreciate that it was less formal in the Hondo school board meeting, but it still felt like we were interrupting and they were like, what are you guys doing here? Oh, okay. Yo, you have something to say. And then they oh, knew. We're, we're surprised. And they knew to have... say, we welcome public comment. All right. They knew to say that. And then we made our public comments, and then they went back to, you know, adult business, which is passing the budget that they had already decided on. And so then there they were, raising the rate, and we were the only people there. And so my feeling on it was the only way that this can change, and this it would obviously have to uh, involve more people and a little bit more organization, which we're not. Like, normal, you know, residents are not normally organized in this way. That's that's the, the conundrum. But if we could get more people to show up to meetings together, I really think that's the only thing that would get them to, to you know, kind of get joggled awake a little bit and yeah. feel a little bit like, oh, wait, people are starting to get a little bit upset. We might need to do something different. Might have to scale back how much we're trying to take. Well, and, and I think that that's what people don't want to do. Yeah. Well, because yeah, because it takes time and it's I boring. Know. I agree. I, but, I mean... And what you need to realize is that the forces that you're against when it comes to these tax discussions are organized because it's the school board and it's the teachers and it's the staff and it's everybody in government. And there are they know about all the things that are going on. They know different levies and measures and they send out emails and they have, you know, whatever. Like they are organized automatically. And because so, what their their organization is also funding. how they I mean, imagine if you could be that organized and you're getting paid to be that organized. Right. Like that is what they are. It's, it's all wrapped into it's baked into the cake for them. It's and, what they're yeah. doing as they get paid. They're already all together. Right. Whereas the rest of us scatter to work in all of our various places of employment. And then we come home and have a little bit of time with our family. But oh, no, sorry. We uh, we got to go to this meeting. Now we have to take more time away and probably working more hours oftentimes I would yeah. think in the private industry a lot of a lot you of people pay a babysitter like figure something out Right like yeah well, we do, are we going to take our kids to this meeting sometimes yeah. we have because I feel like it's really good education for them to see how yeah. a bureaucracy works Yeah, yeah. Well if you want to get involved there's a organization called Medina Valley Tax Advocates that um, we just are starting up I'm not really I'm kind of just in charge of the media part of it so the president is Lloyd Richardson, and uh, we'll give you more information on the show notes of how you can... Yeah, they have a they website. They have a website up now, yeah. and um, yeah, he's working on helping the, the seniors on that, and we're, we're hoping that he will be successful, and that maybe if he's successful with that, they can help those of us that aren't seniors and go further with that. Right. So. I mean, we want to help the seniors as well. You yeah, know, we, we care. Do. Um, we're gonna. We're not we too also, far behind them. Yeah. Some of us. If we we're also, lucky. We also want to kind of create that organization and use it on further things. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, moving on to wages are being considered in commissioners' court. This is kind of an interesting article. So, in the commission's court, they are reviewing the motion to supplement records management personnel salaries with records management funds in the amount of five thousand. 200 and also approved was the approval of using sheriff forfeiture funds to supplement sheriff's office staff annual salaries to approximately 45,000 annually. So what is a sheriff's forfeiture fund? Do you know? 
I'm pretty sure that's the money that they get after they do a tax sale. So it's just what we've been talking about, interestingly, right? So people, they're getting raises with the money that they make from these... From tax sales, when people get behind on their taxes, and then they take your house, and then Whoa. they sell so it. So if your house, if you don't if you don't pay those taxes at $4,000 or whatever, and then it goes through foreclosure, they'll have an auction, and whatever they get for that auction, they start the price probably at 4000 whatever they owe, whatever you owe, right? And then it just goes up Plus from the there. attorney's fees Plus and stuff like that. Fees. Yeah, yep. so, so there's some minimum that they start the bidding at, and then whatever they get, that's the forfeiture uh, revenue. That seems like a conflict of interest to me. <laughs> you mean that they, they could uh, raise the taxes? They have the monopoly on force uh-huh. to take the house, and then they turn around and use that. They sell it and make money mm-hmm. for themselves. Right. So it, it I'm... I'm pretty sure that technically, uh, and this, you know, takes a little bit of knowledge on uh, the citizens' part, but if the person who they took the house from does request the extra, you know, I mean, all of it's extra in my opinion, but the amount that is above what they, you know, owed in taxes and stuff like that, that it went for, uh, you know, at the auction, then they're supposed to get that money back. Oh, that's very good. But you have to ask for it. Yeah, it's amazing that that's not automatic, that you wouldn't get the proceeds of the thing that is yours that they sold. I'm sure they just assume you don't want it. Do they, um, <laughs> Why would anyone want that? Is there um, is there consideration, like, automatically between the city that's selling it and any liens that are on the house? The bank would, I'm, I don't think that... They w- Let's see. They would I get think notified. when the notice happens, yeah, yeah, the first lien holder, the lien holders would get notified and they'll jump on it. Yeah. So yeah. if there's anything in excess of right that, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of burned out with talking about property taxes and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Should we move on to yes, please. I love the it. city council? I know Emily loves talking about property taxes. It's her favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> Get a life, Emily. Hopefully, we'll catch Get some of this <laughs> This is uh, an interesting little thing I wanted to bring up in Divine. So they just did their budget, their city budget, and they raised the city taxes, which I was so sad. Um, uh. I know Josh Ritchie, who's on the city council, shout out to Josh. He's a good guy. Josh is always trying to fight to, um, kind of lower the budget in the city council. And he had a tough decision to make because it was about cutting people's salaries or paying, <laughs> paying the bills. And, um, and he decided to vote with the council on that. Um, but as miss, uh, the other city council member, that I follow Debbie Randall, who's on in District Five, was talking about it on her on her Facebook page. Um, what, one thing that jumped out to me that I just don't understand, and I think I'm going to bring on Josh one of these days to have him explain it to us. But we have um, this debt in Divine, and it's wrapped into the airport. So we, for some reason, we're funding the Divine Airport with city city taxes. I don't understand why. I mean, I don't even I didn't even know there was an airport in Divine when I moved there. So this is what she said. Let me just fill you in on what our budget for this coming 2023-2024 will bring to Divine. At this time, our major debt is with a citywide asbestos-lined water pipe replacement project. So that seems pretty important. That's kind of important. Uh, she said the original loans equaled 9 million um, $900,000 to cover this loan. The city council raised the water rates in 2019. 
The other debt is wrapped into the airport certificate of obligation for $1 million, a very low interest rate. I just, I don't understand why it happens that these small towns always seem to have like an airport and a golf course that it's like the city (laughs) owns it. Oh, don't get me started on the golf course. And so it's like, I don't know, like if there was just a really good golf course salesman, you know, back in the like (laughs) 80s or 70s or something like that. Every time pioneers settle a new place, well... (laughs) Gotta have a golf gotta course. Gotta have a golf course. Before got all this can land can't be <laughs> filled up by people. There's two things we gotta have here before water. <laughs> right. And so, because I, I don't know, like, I've been in a couple small towns where they're like, okay, we're gonna, we're thinking about selling the golf course. They're like, why do you have a golf course? You know? And I, <laughs> Well, and then why is it city funded? You well, know? and the same thing with the airport, you know? Yeah. Why, like, if, if having an airport is so important, then sell it to somebody that runs airports. I think that's what they're trying to do. You could have private airports. From what I understand, what Josh explained to me is they're in a contract. And because of that, he had his, their hands are tied. The city council, a contract with who, whoever signed initially who passed this bill or passed this legislation or policy in divine 25 years ago, they made a contract for like 50 years so but with who i don't know i don't know the i don't know the details about it but josh (laughs) said that they cannot they cannot get out of it until it's i don't remember but it was out of their hands like which it brings me to that whole thing they should not have the power to do things like that that outlive their generation you know what i'm saying yeah that's wrong because then i who want you know the younger generation are left to pay for that which they don't want which is kind of interesting about what's Mm. going on in our national government yeah because it's kind of like i didn't sign the constitution Okay. So. <laughs> nice joke. Joe's kidding. Right, Joe? Uh, if you want to learn more about that, you could read essays by Lysander Spooner called No Treason. And so that's divine. Maybe next week we can talk about what's going on in Hondo or Castroville. Um, our final thing that we were going to cover today is banned books. Okay. So I wanted to talk about this this week because this week is banned books week. And so, Does that mean it's for banned books? Like... What do you think? Proponent or against? Against. B-A-N-N-E-D. I'm so confused. Or B-A-N-D. Is it the banning you mean like of the about books? This, <laughs> like, like, like clarinet books and flute books and stuff? <laughs> or like... Oh, banned. <laughs> B-A-N-D. Or like a book about you two or something like that. Oh, like banned <laughs> books. <Yeah>. No, <laughs> B-A-N-N-E-D, banned. This is a national week-long awareness campaign that's put on by the American Library Association and Amnesty International. So you might be wondering, why are we talk- what, what's, going- what's so controversial about not wanting to have banned books, right? First of all, the words themselves are charged, right? Because when you think of banned books, you know, in the historical context, that's like... Fahrenheit if you, 451. If you... If you... Uh, yeah publish this book or read this book or own this book like you can go to jail right or if you're a publisher and you're publishing it like you're gonna get a fine that is to me that's a banned book right that by law that you're not allowed to have this book like it's illegal right and this has happened in the united states it not just in you know nazi germany or whatever give us some examples we're dying we're chomping so at the was, bit there was what a books are on the list well, I'll get to the list, the current list now. But what I'm talking about historically are there was like a book and it included a bunch of poetry. I think one of them was called Howl by um, he's one of those beat poets. I 
can't remember his name right now. But it was like, like so I married an ass, ass murderer, <laughs> that kind of poet. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ass it starts out uh, woman, <laughs> woman. Well, how it starts out is uh, um, I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked. Like it, and he just goes on like that. It's it's really interesting. It it gets pretty graphic, right? And for its time, it was like, well, we can't have this, you know. And so they they literally banned it. And What's it called again? The poem is called Howl, but mm-hmm. I think it was in a collection of books. Anyway, so there have been books that have been illegal, but that's not what we're talking about when what the, what they're talking about when they talk about banned books weeks. Banned book week. <laughs> it's obviously written by people who read and don't speak. It's talking about what books are allowed in schools, and in, and in, I think it's sometimes just libraries, but mostly it's about schools. And so it's not like these books are illegal and that you're not allowed to have, you know. It's just that you don't have them at the school library, right? And so I think that even just the word banned book is, a, is kind of a lie. It's misleading. It's misleading, right? So hurry up and just assign our opinion to us. Are we supposed to be for or against this, Jeff? <laughs> well, let me give you some examples. Are they gender confusion books? Okay, 15 most banned books in America this, this year. Uh, this is from the LA Times. Gender yeah, Queer, yeah, a memoir. Sure enough. All Boys Aren't Blue. What's that one about? That's about... The, boys and girls it's being a, whatever. more LGBTQ. Stuff. Oh, it's just so yeah. most of these are about LGBTQ. Yeah, the bluest eye. Same deal. It's like racism. Uh-huh. Race, yeah. It's this one is uh, Tony Morrison, um, meditation on the oppressive nature of America's white centric conception of beauty. <laughs> have you seen? Have you read any of her books? I've read uh, Songs of Solomon. Have you read that one? No. And it's hers are I think pretty. She's a good author. She's a good author, yeah. but some there it's kind of edgy, you know. Well, I was gonna say. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, Out of darkness. This is. It's a YA novel. takes place in Texas, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, that it's about a black boy and a Mexican American girl, and it's like banned because of sexual content. And it's, it's like basically talking about it's like pornography. Young people, right? In the book, uh, so Flamer is another one. Uh, the hate you give. Anyway, so basically, it comes down to LGBTQ books mm. and. Uh, what I call cultural Marxism books. You know, this is why this group is, you know, oppressing you or or whatever. You know, we're not talking about banning Fahrenheit 451 or Tom Sawyer or things Gone like with that. The wind Gone or with the Uncle wind. Tom's Cabin. Right. And though I did, and one of these lists, I did see The Kite Runner, which again, that's, that's a, a great good book, book right? Good book. Yeah. I don't want that in like an elementary school. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, they're like, too young. The, yeah. You know, cut one I think part it out. was in the book... Um, Corey Tim Book's book, uh, The Hiding Place, where she talks about a time with her dad on a train. And she asked him a question that she wasn't ready to hear the answer to. And he said to her that he said, you're not ready. You're not ready to hear the answers to that question. Then she kind of got upset, like, come on, I'm, I'm I'm old enough now. And he said, look, at, do you think you could carry all of that luggage right there? Kind of pointed out to on the train, there was a pile of luggage and one really heavy, heavy, like, what do you call it? The uh, chest. She's like, no, I couldn't carry that by myself. And he said, that's how I feel about the, the answer to the question you're the asking. I don't think you're ready to hear it. Mm. And so some of this stuff, I mean, if you want to know from a mental health standpoint, these, the, our children are, are, they're 
their innocence is being stolen from them because they're given way too much information. They're not ready emotionally to understand. That's assuming it's even true information. Yeah, that's true. But even just like, I, I was so sad when my daughter was in fifth grade, Libby, and I put her in public school and somebody approached her and told her that she was bi. And she, Libby didn't even know what that meant. And she came home and was like, what's bi? And I was like, oh, I already have to tell you all this stuff. And it makes me sad. Like, she shouldn't have to worry about anything sexual. Yet. Yet. Right. And that's the thing is that, and I, people will argue, they'll say, oh, well, you can't, you know, shield your kids forever. And it's like, oh, I'm not trying well, to no, shield my duh. kids forever. Right. You know what I mean? It, it's a. Uh, it's more of a, a timing thing, like what you're saying. You're not ready to carry but all that luggage. But why do we need a timing thing? Why do you think, in your opinion? Human development. Yeah. That's right. Right? I mean, anyone can see. Babies are different from three-year-olds who are different from five-year-olds, six-year-olds, 11, you know, and on. So yeah. right. The other thing I would add to that, that anyone can see the physical differences and the, you know, coordination differences and things like that. But people who have actually, you know... Uh, had the opportunity to raise the you know people from the beginning they can see the mental emotional differences which are stark you know like there's definite obvious stages that humans go through mentally and emotionally when they're ready you know what were you just saying yesterday michelle you were talking about how they go through the argumentation yeah, well so in classic education they have what's called a grammar stage a logic stage and a rhetoric stage and each of that is dependent on what their development is, you know, their mental mm. development and their edu- their academic development, which has to do with their physical development. All of it is intertwined. Right. You can't expect your kids to jump from the grammar stage to the, the rhetoric stage without understanding the logic stage. Like they need right. to go through those proper stages to understand. Right. You know, we teach our children from a young age, right and wrong, all those things, and the first thing that you hear about it is going to hold the most weight, you know? And so I think that what parents are against uh, correctly is that schools and libraries and, and educators are taking it upon themselves to say, let me indoctrinate you on the right opinion about this is. Hmm. And, I, and I think that, that it's, it's not, you know, personally, it's like, yeah, you will have to decide all of these things eventually, you know, but I want you to have the tools to think critically before somebody assigns your opinion to you for you. Well, and I got to tell you that offends me as a parent. It offends me as a parent because what you're assuming when you say those things is that I don't already have in mind that I'm going to teach my kids that stuff. So you're arrogant and you're saying that, Oh, if, if we don't do it, they won't kind of a thing. That's what it seems like the schools are saying. Yeah. And and then it's the uh, the other assumption is assuming that the kids are the community's kids and not right. they don't belong to people. And my children are mine. I you know, I went through and I had those children. I bear you know, I made the sacrifice. My husband and I have done you know, we blood literal blood, sweat and tears to make sure they came to this earth and that yeah. we raised them properly and and for them to just take that and want to teach them things that obviously they don't understand. I'm saying that educators, if educators that believe that children should read this stuff, don't understand children. Yeah. They either have never had children or they've never read a child, child development course, taken a child development, a serious child development peer reviewed course, not the stuff that they think Mm -hmm. is child development. 
because children don't want to know that stuff. They really don't. It hurts them. It's it, they're so innocent. Have you ever had something like a little kitten or a cute little puppy where it's like so sweet and innocent? And you want to take well, you guys wouldn't, but <laughs> normal people. <laughs> you know, you, you want to take crush them. <laughs> no, you want to protect them. You oh, want to make sure oh, that yeah, there's sorry, nothing sorry. hurts them. <laughs> that you want to make sure they stay little and okay, wrong. and they're so you know. Joe was talking about something called cute aggression syndrome. We yeah, want to squeeze them. Cute, cute aggression, yeah. yeah just, I feel so that cute. way with my grandbaby. You just squeeze them. You should see how cute she is. She's <laughs> yeah. so adorable. They're little roly-poly thighs. They think so that it's a it's a mental defense mechanism that you're you're being overloaded by cuteness, and that you so your body your brain kind of rebels and you, you feel aggression. It's like so it's like that classic like I just want to squeeze you. You know whatever. It's so fun to be friends with you guys. Everything has some <laughs> logical explanation. It always makes me laugh. Well, that's all I have to say about Van Books. Do you have anything yeah. more? Well, just that the flip side of it is let's, you know, go, come back to Earth. They're, they're not banned, right? They still exist. And if you want your kids to have these books, go get them. No, they shouldn't. Right, because though. the presumption. I, the, I, well, okay, well, but that, I agree. But it's a fallacy from the beginning to say that your kids, there's no way your kids can have this. What it is, it, it's just a mechanism to put control into the hands of the family. And they still exist. You can still get the books. The presumption, just with the name itself, Banned Book Week, is that school libraries have all of the books in the whole world. Right. That's the first problem, Mm -hmm. right? And so then it obviously gets down to an argument of like, okay, well, we can't have all of the books in all of the world, so which ones are we going to have? And then, as always, who decides that? And again, I would go back to what we started out talking about on this episode, which is more school choice, right? Yeah. We just need more options, more competition, and then just let parents decide because yeah. they're the ones who care the most. What what they what they really want with this uh, awareness week is for this, these different library associations to have unfettered control over what books they choose to put in the libraries because yeah. like you said they have to choose they are deciding they have a list and they stock libraries and so what are they're saying, saying they have to discriminate against have, books they must discriminate yeah so i guess that that raises the question if they don't include a book in their selection aren't they by this definition banning all other books that they don't have in their selection that they include seems like they are yeah sure seems like it all right the last thing we have is your choice this week for the next door app you wanted to talk about bills (laughs) i know you wanted to talk about so boring joe (laughs) reading from next dog app uh taylor rodriguez you want to do it since it's yours i'll let you read it sure Joe's pick this week. <laughs> Michelle doesn't want any responsibility for That's this right. topic. All right, I'm going to read this for Joe. Start with his name from wherever he's at. Taylor Rodriguez. Is anyone else experiencing 700 to 800 electric bills in Hondo? We are in a 3-2 manufactured home and are doing everything we can to conserve energy, but our bill only seems to be getting higher. All right, what's the deal with this? Well, and then there's a lot of comments you know, people saying, yes, us too. You know, we paid 550 this month. Uh, so did they raise the rate? Gene Kutzer said, thank the state of Texas and ERCOT. 
Since the winter of 2021, not one new power plant has been built or started. We have coal and not one nuclear power plant. Power plant. I'm sure. Yeah, it cut off right there. Do we even open up new nuclear power plants? No, but we should. I think there are three in Texas, actually. There are? I want to tell you guys an idea I had last week about nuclear, since nuclear is the most efficient, cleanest. Unlike what we're all taught in public school. Unless there's a leak. And then you got yourself Three Mile Island and what was the other one in Russia? What was it called? Something Chernobyl or? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Oh, yeah. Just that, so, because it's so efficient, right? We could, you know, we always have a water problem. I mean, would you say that's our biggest problem in Texas? Texas, Yeah, I think it's a a water problem. We're all going to. At least in South Texas in particular, right? We could have huge buildings that were air conditioning and then capture the water that's condensed out of the air. Mm. Wouldn't that help a little? Mm-hmm. At least like if we get in a really tight spot. So wait a minute. You're so s- the, the water is more expensive than the energy is what I'm saying if you use nuclear. Mm. So you have a problems. nuclear building, right? <laughs> Facility. <laughs> no, a nuclear plant. Plant. That's and that's I, where that's we're getting the, word. the We're getting the cheap energy. So you're saying put a nuclear plant uh-huh. full of air conditions. No, no, she's just saying. <laughs> so you have your nuclear plant put like in a building of instead of windmills, which are highly inefficient and unreliable. And if if you talk to Trump, they're hideous. <laughs> instead of that, we have nuclear, which is the efficient, cheap kind, right? And then we can use all this efficient, cheap energy to cool giant buildings and condense water right out of the air Are and then we have way more water the buildings the only purpose of the buildings would be to <laughs> no we to find keep... things okay more so basketball, we already have indoor that. basketball we, but we already have buildings that let's are have condensed. more <laughs> <laughs> where Emily's... that's what i was trying to figure out if you're going to take them from all buildings which buildings and how would you well, get we should take them from all that is smart emily is, let's uh... make texas less humid emily's <laughs> talking about this because uh we recently had a leak or rather, uh, <laughs> our uh, drain line for our AC was plugged, and so it was leaking into the attic, uh, so all that extra water. And so it's, all, it's on the brain. It was like a revelation from heaven. From above. Right? From, uh, it was like a revelation <laughs> from above. <laughs> oh, well, it's been fun, guys. All right, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> that was fun, guys. All right, until next time. Can't wait to talk taxes again. Right, Emily? <laughs> I love it. We need that I think app. taxes in my dreams. All next I want is... Next tax app. Yeah. Next tax. I like that. I mean, it's hard to say, but... I like <laughs> Not the as idea. hard as band book week. Or a rural Next journey. dog, next tax. Bye now. <laughs> <laughs>